I want to teach you something new today, show you something pretty cool. This is called a mezuzah. And the mezuzah is a rectangular piece of paper on which are 22 lines from the Hebrew Bible, okay, from the Torah. The mezuzah is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And these lines that are written that you see on the left, uh, the lines that you see up there on the left uh, are written on this piece of paper, and they are written according to very strict rules. There are strict guidelines as to how this is to be recorded on this piece of paper. Now, on the right side, you see the box. Okay, this is a tiny little rectangular box that is nailed to the door frame on the right side of uh, devout Jews' uh, homes. Okay, so the home of a devout and pious Jew would have this little box nailed to the uh, door frame. uh, And inside this little box would be the thing on the left, the mezuzah. And I want to read to you where this comes from in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And uh, Moses told the people, said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And that is why this little box, the mezuzah, is nailed to the right side of the door frames of Jewish homes. It is what Moses told the people to do. And this is called, this uh, passage of scripture is called the Shema. And the Shema uh, is the Hebrew word for the word hear. So when he says hear, O Israel, he's saying Shema, O Israel. Uh, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, These 22 lines of the the Torah, uh, the reason they are so special, we'll get to that in just a second, but they have been recited twice daily, morning and night. They've been recited twice daily by pious Jews for over 3,400 years. 3,400 years. That's 3,400 years. If you multiply that out, times 365 days in a year, not counting leap year. I'm not that good at math. 3,400 years times 365 is 1.2 million days. For 1.2 million days, over 1.2 million days, this passage of scripture has been recited by devout Jews two times. That's over 2.4 million recitations. And that is if just one person does it every day. I mean, this is something that really is significant in the, the minds and in the hearts of Jewish people that this Shema um, is incredibly important. And let me tell you why. Okay, It forms the very basis of the Jewish faith. You see, the Jews were surrounded, the Israelites were surrounded by polytheistic nations. And all of these polytheistic nations, they, polytheistic means many gods, they believed in many, many gods. And what Moses is telling the people is that you do not believe in many gods, you have one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We have one one God. And that is all. And um, not only does it form the basis of this monotheistic faith, but it also forms the basis of a loving relationship. It forms the basis of a relationship with God that is based on love. Because God tells the Israelites to love him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. In other words, It is a loving relationship that God desires with his people. 
It's not a relationship based on fear and terror. He does not say, fear the Lord your God, or be afraid of the Lord your God. He does not say, be terrified of the Lord your God. Rather, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's very interesting to me. You see, you see, we are to respect and honor God in our lives. We are to fear Him, but not in a terrified way that God is out to get us. That this God of comfort, as Brandon talked about in his community meditation, as Katie read during the worship time, this God of comfort is a God of love and grace. And He is not out to get you. Well, He is, but He's out to get you into His kingdom. He's out to get you into heaven. But He's not out to get you in that He wants to smite you or destroy you or or pound you into submission. No, God is not some ogre in the sky. Rather, He is a God of love and grace, a God of comfort and mercy, a God of peace. He is a God of love. And He desires, above all things, to have a loving relationship with you, and with you, and with you, and with y'all, and with me. That is what His greatest desire is, that we would have this loving relationship with Him. For it is told, we are told in Scripture, to love God with all that we are. He is the one true God. And he is, he is one, and He is out to have a loving relationship with you and a loving relationship with me. Today's story that we're going to look at from the Bible is from the New Testament. It's from the book of Mark. And we are talking about a story about Jesus and, and a Pharisee. Uh, and this expert in the law, this Pharisee, uh, comes to Jesus with a question. Now, um, Jesus and the Pharisees had many run-ins. They had lots of interaction, uh, and most of them, most every single one was negative. Uh, the Pharisees were often out to try and trip Jesus up. They were out to trap Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a minute. So he had all these run-ins with the Pharisees, and today's no exception. He has a run-in with the Pharisees, but this one ends in a different way. We are almost finished with this sermon series uh, called It's Not About Me. We've been talking about uh, this concept that life and our purpose is not about me. Uh, it's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about our desires. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our plans. It's not about what we want. It's not about me. It's not about you. But rather we've been talking about the, the purpose of life. And, and today we're talking about the highest purpose of life. What is the highest purpose that we can have? And that's what we're going to talk about. Um, last week we talked about what it's really all about. And I handed out these little hearts. Any of you get a chance to use your heart this week? I mean, not, you know, heart. But like this little heart that I gave you. I hope some of you were able to use it. Uh, the challenge last week was to write out the name of somebody or write a love note to somebody who needed to feel loved uh, from you. And so, or it was to work on one of the 16 facets of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, so I hope you got a chance to do that. If you want an extra heart, I have, not an extra heart, but I have an extra heart. I have extra hearts here in the back, and I'll be glad to give you one if you want to do that again, or if you forgot and you want to do it this week, uh, I have those. So um, today's message is about uh, uh, two passages of Scripture, uh, or it's about a passage of Scripture that forms the basis for two-thirds of our mission statement. We do the mission statement every Sunday, right? Uh, the purpose of the First Christian Church is to make disciples who love God, love others by the gospel. We do that every Sunday. And it's because I used to work at Walmart. If you haven't heard the story, I'll tell it again some other time. Now is not the time. Uh, and I know that's totally non-sequitur, and you're thinking, what in the world is he talking talking about he used to work at walmart i used to work at walmart every day they do the walmart cheer and that's why we do the mission statement it's a long story it's kind of boring uh except i do this 
So, um, if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. Grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible and you want to use the Bible in front of you in the pew, it's on page 718. And uh, we're going to read through this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, uh, in just a moment. But I want to tell you a little bit about the, the, the context of this passage of Scripture. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples arrive in Jerusalem for Passover. And uh, they're coming to Jerusalem for Passover. And what, uh, this is the, what's known as the triumphal entry. Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey. Uh, the children, the, the men and women, the crowds come out to meet him. They wave palm branches. They cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. And so they're, they're, they've got this whole thing. The, the, like I said, the triumphal entry is what we know it as. And Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Not as a conquering king, uh, not as a king who came to destroy the city or conquer the city, but rather a king who came to die for the sins of humanity. And that's exactly why Jesus went into Jerusalem, was to die for our sins. So he goes into Jerusalem with his disciples for the celebration of the Passover. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 18, uh, we see uh, that um, the Pharisees uh, and the teachers of the law and the chief priests and the elders were looking for a way to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They were jealous, they were angry, they were frustrated by him, and they wanted to kill him. And so as we continue following through Mark 11 and 12, uh, we see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law were trying to trip him up in his words. They were trying to get him to blaspheme God. For if he blasphemed God, if he committed blasphemy, it would be a, a legitimate reason to execute him. That he would deserve death. If he were to blaspheme God. So they're coming to him and they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him to say something that will blaspheme God. He won't do it. Well, of course he wouldn't do it. He's Jesus but and he is God in the flesh. But they're trying to trip him up in his words. Um, so they come to him. They begin to question his authority. By what authority are you doing these things? And he answers them. And, he, and then he goes on to tell them a, a parable. He knows that they want to kill him. He tells them this parable of tenants in a farm and how uh, a wealthy landowner sent his servants and they killed the servants. And and then he said, if I send my son, perhaps he'll listen to my son. And so he sends his son and they kill the son too. And that's what they're going to do to Jesus, that God is the landowner who sends his servants, the prophets, and they kill the prophets. And then he sends Jesus, his son, and they're going to kill his son as well. And Jesus knew that they wanted to kill him. He knew that they wanted him dead. And so, but he keeps preaching and teaching anyway. And he answers their questions. Um, the Pharisees try to trip him up with a question about taxes. They come to him, you know, should we pay taxes to the Roman Empire? Jesus says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. The Sadducees come to him. These were teachers and scholars from among the priestly class. These were priests. And they come to him. They did not believe in a bodily resurrection. They did not believe that our bodies would rise from the, from the dead. And so they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. They want to know what Jesus' feelings are, what his beliefs are about a bodily resurrection. So they come to him, and again, they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to test him. Uh, They're trying to get him to say something that will allow them to kill him. These guys are the ones who spent all their time in the temple serving the Lord. Like I said, they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection, so they want to ask Jesus what he thinks. And he answers them, and he answers them very well, according to Mark. And that brings us to today's passage, Mark 12. 28 through 34. Let's read together. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This, the Pharisees sent an expert in the law. and The, the Pharisees were experts in the law, and they, they spent... Uh, countless hours splitting hairs trying to figure out what was the most important commandment what was the the most important thing that they needed to do and so they send this expert in the law to jesus to inquire of him what was jesus's thoughts what were jesus's thoughts on uh the law and what is the most important commandment what was the most important thing to do like i said they would argue for hours hours and hours and some scholars uh tried to sum up the law uh of moses uh in a, with a set of precepts maybe it's this set of laws or this set of laws and 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 this set is the most important other scholars in jesus's day and rabbis would try and well they would try and sum up the law in a single sentence Jesus, though, sums it up in a single word. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Not 400, not 500, not 600, 613 commandments. 248 are positive, 365 are negative. 613 commandments. Could you imagine? We can't memorize 10. And yet trying to memorize 613, what could you do? Okay, here's my bubble. I'm going to build a bubble, and I'm going to get inside, and I'm going to try not to sin and break any one of these 613 commandments. It's a lot of commandments. And yet they tried to sum it all up. They tried to boil it down to just one. You know, what is one commandment that, above all the others, what is the one commandment that we have to follow? Do not murder. That's a good one. That, that's a real good one, actually. Do not steal. Another good one. Maybe do not covet. Eh, it's probably not as high up there on the murder and stealing uh, level. What is the most important commandment? Jesus doesn't sum it up in a, with a set of precepts. He doesn't even set it up, uh, sum it up with a single sentence. He sums it up with a single word. Love. Love God and love others. He sums up 613 commandments in a single word. Love. That's what it's all about. If you remember last week, that's what it's really all about is love. So 613 commandments summed up in a single word, love. Love God and love your neighbor. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about, is loving God and loving our neighbor. So if you've got your bulletin, turn to page 3, and you'll find the handy-dandy outline. The first blank on your outline is to love God with everything. Love God with everything. Look at Mark 12, 29, and 30 one more time. The most important one answer Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. What word do you hear repeated over and over and over again? All. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Four times we are to love God with everything that we are and everything that we have. 
I was reading through some commentaries uh, as I was studying this passage of Scripture this week, and I want to share a quote with you from one of them. Uh, this, uh, is, this fascinates me. God's wholehearted love must be answered, it must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. God's wholehearted love, he loves us with his whole heart. His wholehearted love must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. God does not deserve anything less than our wholehearted devotion, our wholehearted affection, our wholehearted love. For that is what he has given to us, is his wholehearted love. And we must not answer it in a half-hearted manner. We are to love God with everything that we have and everything that we are. To love him with all of our heart. In Jesus' day, the heart was the center of a person. The heart was what it was all about. Out of the heart came everything. Came your thoughts, came your deeds, came your words. It all comes out of the heart. And so the heart was the very center of a person. Um, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus says, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Our desire to please God should come from a heart that fully loves God. Our desire to please God should come from a heart that fully loves God. That the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, we should be able to do them in Jesus' name, according to Colossians 3.17. I told the story in the first service. I was afraid I wasn't going to remember it, um, but uh, it's not in my notes. So, uh, but I remember the story I told the first service. Um, I, I'm, I'm a very safe and defensive driver. I take great pride in my safe, defensive driving skills. I don't mean to boast. I don't mean to brag. But I'm a really good driver. I'm the guy the guy that you get behind and you wonder what is wrong with me <laughs> what is wrong with this guy why is he going the speed limit or why is he going one mile per hour over this or two miles per, if you're lucky i'm going two miles per hour over the speed limit i am the guy, <laughs> Albert's laughing very hard because Albert's gotten behind me on the way to work. <laughs> and he's like, what's wrong with this guy? And then he rests because he nights his pastor's car. <laughs> I'm a very safe, defensive driver. That's just the way I drive. And I, I almost, it's, it's almost, okay, it's a, little, it's a little twisted, a little sick. But when I go to pick up my son from school down in Cherville, and I'm driving down 73rd, old 30, and I'm going up the road, and I, I, I take a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of pleasure in looking in that rearview mirror and seeing how many cars are behind me. Oh, yeah, see, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. The one that you go, oh, man, what is wrong with that guy? That's me. So the next time you see a little white Hyundai and you're behind it going, oh, is that him? It's me. Okay? So, uh, I, like I said, I'm a very safe driver. And, and what drives me nuts is when other people are not. When other people are like, you know, so here I am driving down Main Street a couple weeks ago, coming back from like Target or something, and I'm driving down Main Street, and uh, I'm doing my thing. I'm, I'm doing my speed limit. You know, I, I don't like to, I just don't like to speed. I have $213.68 worth of reasons not to speed. I've told you that story before. Wisconsin, here's just a little tip from your Uncle Sean, don't speed in Wisconsin. They're everywhere. So anyway, so I'm doing my speed limit thing, coming down Main Street. There's about nine cars behind me, you know, shaking their fists at me and everything like that. And, and it, this story is going somewhere, I promise. Um, so I'm coming down Main Street, and I get to the tracks there by Wiggs, 
okay? And there's two lanes. There's a lane that on the left side that if you're going to turn, you stay there and you turn left. And then if somebody is in that left lane going to turn, you go around them on the right side, right? Everybody, we're tracking, okay? So here I am in the left lane just going straight. I don't have my turn signal on. I'm not turning. And I'm going, and all of a sudden, the guy, the, safe, the unsafe driver behind me, says, I've had enough of this guy, and I'm going around him. And he speeds up as fast as he can, goes over the tracks and right around me. And I was like, you know, how many of you do this, okay? I would give every dollar in my pocket for a cop to pull out right now. Okay, that's, again, that's the mean side of me. That's the not nice, you know, side of me. But, you know, I'm not alone, apparently, because there's laughter. So anyway, so this guy flies around me and speeds up to the stop sign and i'm praying lord please let the light turn red so that i can get right up behind him and you know and i'm like i'm angry as he goes around me i'm like why is he what's the matter what, uh, unsafe you know and i'm just like getting angry and i'm like man i just and i'm seeing red and i'm like man it's just you know if i didn't have a, a you know some odd 50 some odd payments left in this car i just want to ram him with it and it's like what am i doing I'm, I'm angry. I'm, I'm road raging. I'm really upset. And then it hits me. I can't ram his car in Jesus' name. Like it says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I can't ram his car in Jesus' name. I can't cuss him out in Jesus' name. Not that I would do that anyway. I can't have road rage. I can't shake my fist at him. I can't cut him off. He cut me off, but I can't cut him back off in Jesus' name. And neither can you. You can't. The things that we do, the words that we say, the thoughts that we think, the actions that we do, we have to be able to do them in Jesus' name. If you can't do it, you can't say it, you can't think it in Jesus' name, I shouldn't do it. Neither should I. Where does that come from? That comes from a heart that loves God and desires to please Him. It does not please God when I want to ram the guy in Jesus' name. That does not please Him. And it would make the bank very mad. Um, So we are to love God with all of our heart. We are to love God with all of our soul. In those days, the soul was the center of emotional activity. It was the center of the emotions. In other words, we are not to have a dry faith, a, a dry love for God, but we are to love Him emotionally. We are to love Him with affection and emotion. We are to love God with our feelings. I'm not a real touch. I'm not a real feelings-oriented kind of guy, but uh, but the feelings that I do, ha- I should have feelings of affection and emotion for God. We're to love God with all of our mind. That is the center of intellectual activity. That we love God with our brains. We love God with our minds. We do not follow Jesus blindly, but rather we are to think about our faith and we are to think about loving God. And He's to be at the center of our thoughts all the time. We are to love God with all of our strength. That is our physical activity, the center of a physical activity. That we love Him with our strength. We love Him with our bodies. We love Him uh, with our, our, our power. We love Him uh, through self-discipline and, and selflessness and through self-control. We love God. Not just with our feelings, not just with our thoughts, not just with our mind, but we love Him with everything. We love Him with all that we are and all that we have. And He desires to have this loving kind of relationship with you and with me. And this is the kind of relationship that we are to be fully invested in. That we are to love Him all the way. We are to be all in all the time. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. 
when we are fully surrendered, fully devoted, fully, uh, fully in, all in, all the way, all the time. Because that's how God loves you. And that's how God loves me. He's all in. He proved it on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross and he suffered and he died, he went all in. It wasn't like, okay, you know what? He wasn't halfway through the cross going, I don't think I can do this. So those 10,000 angels, call them down right now. No, Jesus was fully invested in this relationship with you and me. And he went all in on the cross. All in. And that is the way we are to love him in response. We are to be all in. Second blank on your outline. We are to love others as yourself. See, Jesus doesn't stop with just loving God. In verse 30, he says, uh, verse 31, he says, the second is this, love your neighbors yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. To love others as yourself. In, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, this is where Jesus gets this from. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So God says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Paul summed this up in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, there's 609 others, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Life is really all about loving God and loving others. That's not just something that we do here on a Sunday morning. That's not just something that we repeat every Sunday because we need to kill 15 seconds in the service. This is what life is really all about. It is, it is our mission statement. And when I say it's our mission statement, it's not just our mission statement as a church. It's the mission statement for our lives. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. That's what this whole thing is really all about. You see, the church is not just a building that we go to. The church is not just a service that we attend. The church is us. And so when I say, when, when I say that the, the mission or the purpose of the first Christian church, I'm not saying the purpose of this building is to love God and love others. I'm not saying that the purpose of this service is to love God and love others. The purpose of our lives is to love God and love others. That is the very purpose of our lives. That is the very reason we were created, was to love God and love other people. And you know what? When we become fully surrendered followers of Jesus, that is what we do. Because that's what fully surrendered followers do. When you believe in Jesus and you repent from sin and you confess your faith and you get baptized by immersion, when you do these things, you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's what the goal is. That's to grow into this full surrender of faith in Jesus Christ. And what we do as fully surrendered, fully devoted followers of His is we love God and we love other people. You see, when you get baptized, God puts His Holy Spirit in you and He gives you a mission. And whether you choose to accept that mission or not, your mission, should you choose to accept it, no, you don't, it doesn't matter if you accept it or not, you still have the same mission. And that mission is to love God and love others. It's a God-given mission 
found in his word, found in the Old Testament and in the New. It's the words of Jesus. They're in red in my Bible. They may be in red in yours. They may not be. But either way, Jesus still said them that to sum up the entire law is to love God and love others. Like I said, it's not just something that we do as a church. You and me, we are the church. We are the church. This is our purpose. This is our mission to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, we are a family and we are to love each other. We are called to consider the welfare of others as well as our own. You know, I don't know. Anybody hate themselves? No, probably not. I mean, we may not like ourselves. We may look in the mirror and go, eh, I really don't like this. Or, uh, mm. you know, I may not like everything about myself, but I don't hate myself. I take care of myself. Well, at least I should. I'm starting to. Now that I turned 40, uh, I'm starting to take, I'm starting to go for walks. I mean, I've, I've been walking for like 38 years, but no, no, I'm, I'm like intention, excuse me, intentionally going for walks for exercise. I'm, I'm starting to think about, not do, but think about what I'm eating because my metabolism is slowing down. My body's betraying me. I may not hate my body, but my body's starting to hate me and I'm not very happy about it. So I'm thinking about what am I, what I'm eating because my metabolism is slowing down. So I'm starting to take better care. I'm, I'm supposed to be taking better care of myself. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So, I'm, you know, I, I don't hate myself. I may not like everything about myself, but I don't hate myself. I, I love myself. I mean, I take care of myself. I'm supposed to. And you love yourself too. And you know what? That's okay. Because Jesus didn't say love your, uh, hate yourself and love others. He said love your neighbor as you love yourself. He knows you love yourself, but the key of life, the, the purpose of life is not to just satisfy yourself and please yourself and love yourself only. Love others as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Everybody. Who am I to love others? Who are the others I'm supposed to love? Love your husband as yourself. Love your wife as yourself. Love your parents as you love yourself. Love your children as you love yourself. Love your coworker as you love yourself. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Okay. I can do the husband. I can do the wife. I can do the kids. I can do the parent. Now, coworker, the, the guy in the, the desk across the office, that that guy. Love others as you love yourself. So you either start hating yourself so you can hate that guy, or you love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Let's see. Uh, parents. Children, husband, wife, co-worker, your physical neighbor, the guy who lives next door, the one who stays up till 4 o'clock in the morning playing the drums. Love that guy as you love yourself. Um, uh, let's see, who else? Here you go. Love Republicans as you love yourself. Love Democrats as you love yourself. That chill you just felt go through the room, that's not because the heat's not on. It's because the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Love the poor as you love yourself. Love the wealthy as you love yourself. Love your enemies as you love yourself. The one who hurt you as you love yourself. The ones who love you as you love yourself. Love those who don't look like you, who don't act like you, who don't think like you as you love yourself. Have I hit everybody? Have I covered everything? Just about, I think. Um, Jesus doesn't let anyone off the hook. He doesn't say, okay, all right, all right, okay. You can love, love everybody as you love yourself except for these people over here. 
or these people who have this sin in their life, you don't have to love them, but everybody else you've got to love. Can we, can we do that? No. Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. That's it. So you're not off the hook. I'm not off the hook. I'm called to love who? Everyone. Everybody. Everywhere. All the time. And that's hard. You know why? Because people are annoying. I'm annoying. Thank you. Uh, oh, man. I was hoping to get by without an amen on that one. It's true. We get on each other's nerves. We bump into each other. We, we grate on each other. We annoy each other. We bug one another. And God says to love each other anyway. Man. Why? Because he loves us. That person that you find it hard to love, I'm going to drop something heavy on you right now, okay? The person that you are called to love that you just cannot, you just say, I can't, I just can't, not that guy, not that girl, I just can't. Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them. And so when you say, I, when you say, I can't love them, what you're really saying is, I don't want to love them. And you are saying to Jesus, I don't want to do what you want me to do. I know you died for them. I know you went to the cross for them as much as you went to the cross for me. But I don't want to. Jesus says, you have to. Because that's the purpose of life. To love God and love others. That is our highest purpose. The last blank on your outline is nothing is more important than these. Nothing is more important than these. Think about this statement that I wrote there below. Kingdom, the kingdom of God is not about religious exercises or rituals. These are mere outward expressions and can be faked or become familiar habits. Jesus says that what is going on in your heart is more important than these religious practices. You know, we can fake this church thing. We can put on a good show for others to see, but you can't fake love. You cannot fake love very long. Pretty soon it will become apparent that you are only giving lip service to being a follower of Jesus. You can't fake this. You can't fake love. Following Jesus means that we have a purpose in life. We have a real purpose in life. And it is the highest purpose of loving God and loving others. Because love is the greatest thing, according to Paul. It's better than hope. It's better than faith. The greatest is love. So... Here's the challenge for you to think about today. Just a little challenge for you. The first is to think about God. What are you holding back from Him? Is it your heart? Is it your soul? Is it your mind? Is it your strength? What area of love are you holding back from God? God, I'll love you with my heart, but I'm not going to love you with my soul. I'm not going to give you the emotional side of me. I'll love you with my soul, but I'm not going to love you with my strength. I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want to be self-controlled. I don't want to be self-disciplined. What part are you holding back from God? And then think about your neighbor for a minute. Who in your world needs to be loved that you aren't loving? And how can you show love to that person in a very practical way this week? How can you be an agent of love this week? How can you be an ambassador of love this week? Loving God and loving others, that is our highest purpose. That is the highest purpose for our lives. That is the greatest thing that we can do is to love God and love others. And it demands that we give all that we have and all that we are 
because it's not about me. Father God, thank you for the words of Jesus, how he summed up the commands, all the commands of Scripture with just one word, and that's love. I pray that you would help us to be loving people, loving you more each day, loving one another, forgiving each other, bearing with each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other, loving each other as you have loved us. So God, today we give you praise and glory and thanks for your word. And I pray that you would challenge us to live lives of love. Thank you for reaching out to us in love that we might have a relationship with you and to know your presence and peace and comfort in our lives. Thank you for being here with us today and we give you praise in Jesus' name.